all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman-Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for Subscription Stories, True Tales from the Trenches. You're in for a special treat today. My guest, Dr. Tacey Byam, is the CEO of Development Dimensions International, or DDI, a global leadership consulting firm that helps organizations hire, promote, and develop exceptional leaders. A few years ago, I worked with Tacey and her team as they incorporated subscriptions into their business model. The results have been extraordinary. Three years into the launch, over 50% of DDI's revenue comes from subscription clients. I've been asking Tacey to share her journey for quite some time, and I'm thrilled that she finally agreed. In today's conversation, we'll talk about how subscriptions can smooth out the lumps in B2B services, how to put together the right team with the right mindset for subscriptions, and how to keep up momentum after the initial experiments with subscriptions are over. Tacey, welcome to the show. Hi, Robbie. So glad to be here and with your listeners today. I want you to start by sharing a little bit about the history of DDI and how you got to this point. Absolutely. DDI is a global leadership company. We're known for services in the HR space. We do leadership development, leadership assessment, and succession at every level of leadership from emerging first-time leaders into the C-suite. I think It's important to share that our purpose is better leaders for a better future. Now, there's a lot of companies out there that offer leadership development. So I want to share a little bit about our story because what sets us apart is how rooted we are in the science of leadership. Our founder is my dad. So I'm a second generation CEO. His name is Bill Byam, and he is an inventor and an entrepreneur. And in the 1960s, he was the first industrial organizational psychologist at JCPenney. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And the company was expanding from their anchor stores in downtowns into the suburbs, right? So they had to mass find a whole number of store managers to be able to run these new anchors in malls that were cropping up in suburbia. So this was critical selection decisions that were needed, and he brought in a new selection process that's called the assessment center method into JCPenney. This method is all about one where you use simulations with the candidates to predict how they're actually going to perform on the job in a leadership situation. And think of it as a flight simulator in a lot of ways. Candidates are behaving in a simulated conversation, and then they're evaluated by trained assessors to see whether they can build trust in their leadership team, whether they can give performance feedback, whether they can plan and execute on the company's strategy. And he had tremendous success with the model because you can see specifically that the high performers from the assessments translated into the most profitable stores for JCPenney. So smart guy that he is, he wrote a Harvard Business Review article, and 
all of a sudden, companies around the world were calling him saying, hi, we'd like to hire you to do for us what you did for JCPenney. So dad calls himself an accidental entrepreneur. He walked in and had a meeting with JCPenney himself. And JCPenney said, and I have a picture of this, listen, young man, you're on a great opportunity. I think you should go out there and start a company. And DDI was founded in 1970. So that's the first part of our origin story, which I find so captivating. But in the early years of assessment, the DDI team that was growing was going around the world and assessing inside of different companies. And one of the things that struck them was you had companies that actually had a training budget and were investing in their leaders and companies they were walking into that had nothing. And guess what? The leaders were no better in the companies where training had been there. So DDI found a way of training that actually worked, that changed behavior, that made for better leaders for a better future. And it's called behavior modeling. And so you might know that the fundamentals of it are where you get the fundamentals, you try it on, you practice, you get feedback, you repeat with more challenges. I mean, think of learning tennis for the first time. It's like you get the basics, you practice, practice, practice. And that's how you grow and how you improve. And that's a big difference between just, say, learning a book or watching a video. It's really getting practice to feel comfortable in these people skills. So that's how we got started in the other half of our business, which is leadership development. So that's those origin stories. I'll tell you a little bit about fast forwarding to today, if you'd like me to go there as well, Robbie. Sure. Yeah. And something that I'd love for you to focus on as you share the last piece of the story is how much of this is replicable and ongoing in our world of subscriptions. We're always thinking about that, that forever promise. And how much of it was, and maybe this has changed over time, was transactional. You know, we come in, we do an assessment, we find the right person, and then we're done. We did a good job of accomplishing what the client had asked us to do. Right. Well, see, that is the crux of what helped us move to subscriptions in the first place. Because for decades, we were having working on events like single buys with our clients and that we have fundamentally changed the way we are by the side of our clients and not just by the side of HR, we are by the side of leaders. And we need to do that because there's so much more expected of leaders and the world keeps changing around them and getting a single dose of training, learning, help one time is not enough to carry you through. So that's really what brought us to subscriptions with our secret sauce of insight and development. And that's really our foundation there. Yeah, interesting. So incorporating subscription, it sounds like a part of the inspiration for that was recognizing a need among your clients that they the problem didn't go away. They sometimes, I'm speaking for myself here, work with many, many companies. The client says, great, we worked really hard with you. Now we're done. Now we're going to move on to the next thing. And then you watch them kind of spiral because the problems keep coming, the challenges keep coming. And so talk to me a little bit about how you thought about solving this problem, this ongoing problem that you're seeing with your clients and the role that subscription played in that strategy. Yeah. After decades of these sort of transactional models, like many B2B businesses, where there's risk, of course, you've got a lot of good years, good quarters, et cetera. The challenge for our clients is that they were having to buy things with a new purchase order every single time they wanted to implement something. So that was part of what was pushing us towards the easy button of subscriptions, not to say it's easy. There was a lot of transition that went on, but 
to meet our clients, we needed to meet them where they needed us to be with more flexibility and more options that they could get versus just the simple transactional buys. So they could do things at different times and different modalities and not having to do contracts and purchase orders all over again. We needed them to be able to have at their fingertips the resources that they needed. And and so that's what started us on this journey. We didn't actually start with subscriptions. We started with licenses. And that did work for some clients. Now, for us, we're defining licenses. And you can tell me if this is how your definition of licenses as well, was to give away the entire library of content to the client. And that went right into HR as the librarians who found this a great improvement because they got the flexibility. They were able to get the resources that they wanted. Our business, which if you think about training, is the resources mean you need to have the PowerPoints, the facilitator guides, the workbooks. I mean, everything it takes to run a training session, these one-off sessions, but it was really manual for our clients to implement. And our reach wasn't there. So we moved to subscriptions. And what we did in subscriptions was open our content access much broader and into the users or the learners themselves, not just HR. So it helped learners and users be able to self-service to get the help they needed when they needed it, because the promise we're trying to help with them with is help them build confidence, help them build competence and be ready to apply the skills. Like if you don't know how to have a tough performance conversation, it's a lot better to have had an opportunity to practice that. Do that in a safe, psychologically safe environment and be ready to help leaders with the new challenges that happen every day. So that's, we try to be by their side of leaders as they step through into every moment of leadership that they've got. And undoubtedly, everything changed because our reach moved from touching HR to a broader reach into users and they get much more personalized development. Yeah. So, you know, something interesting that I just thought of in on the consumer side in retail and consumer packaged goods, a lot of companies have moved to a direct model for similar reasons, right? Instead of going to the store and buying from a shopkeeper or buying your car from a car dealer, you buy directly from the manufacturer. It's better usually for the end user, but sometimes the gatekeeper is either worried for good reasons or afraid of giving up their power, right? Which maybe is a less good reason. Yeah. So good and bad, you know, hey, if I'm not meeting this out to people as they need it, if I'm not interpreting it for them, they might misuse it or get the wrong results. But also if you're going direct, then what's my role? I'm wondering, was that an issue or how did you work with HR to balance their concerns about giving the keys of the kingdom to every leader in the organization or every leader on the team? Yes, such a good question. And it wasn't as much worry on their side mainly because they're wired to want to help people. But at the same time, they're overwhelmed, they're overworked, they're shackled in some ways. So this was a liberating change for them in their role. It also has been super interesting because usually we've got clients who are doing still programs, but then the users have broader access and and you can see where they're going. You can actually see the pulse of what's happening. And so if one whole department inside of an organization is looking up information on how do I lead through a change or how do I deal with burnout and well-being, 
you know, contemporary issues that are always hitting our subscription, you recognize as HR that there's something going on there. It's like an early, as a psychologist, a needs analysis of what their needs are. And it helps you be prepared with data to be ahead of the curve to meet your constituents, which is your leaders inside of your organization. So two key points I want to call out that are great, I think, for our listeners. One of them is know your gatekeeper, know your, you know, you already had a relationship with HR and you understood what motivates them, right? Right. Helping people, being impactful, being able to track what's happening, make better decisions and prove their impact. That was really important. And then the second thing is designing your subscription offering, which I know we're going to get into in a minute for, especially in the B2B side, not just for the end user, but also for that distributor, that gatekeeper, that manager, that leader, so that everybody is benefiting from the subscription. I think sometimes people underestimate the importance of each layer in the subscription, all the different people who are responsible for, for making the buying decision for driving engagement, and for getting the benefit of the impact. I mean, we just had our big client summit where people were talking about what they do in different implementations and the work with DDI. And the thing that makes me so proud is that when you listen to them speak about us, they're not saying, oh, DDI is one of our preferred vendors. They're saying DDI is our partner. And that is a different that you get from instead of these one-off implementations to being by their side. Yeah. And that is exactly, I think, what people want when companies move to subscription. That's what they want, right? We want this ongoing relationship. We don't want to stop and start. But it's also really important to remember that that's important that the customer also feel that way, that they say, you know, when a subscription is done well, and I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, when it's done well, the customer says things are better with the subscription. We're getting so much more value. We're reaching so many more people. We're better able to track the impact of our investment. And I think you did a really nice job with that, of sort of thinking through what is it on their side as well as on our side that's going to be better. And let's not underestimate our friendship with purchasing, who just likes the one price. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think purchasing is a little behind on subscriptions still and the finance area there. They're very fearful of, you know, ongoing fees and... I know what a widget should cost, but I don't know what access to content should cost and how to think about it. So yeah, that's definitely another challenge. Where did you want subscription to fit in your bigger business model? So earlier I painted the picture that we have two sides to our company, the assessment and the leadership development, and they were equally of size. And what has evolved is subscriptions, which is on the content, the leadership development side, you could think because of the complexities of assessment, unless they're automated, is where this is all fitting. And so it's an opportunity for us, and I'll give you some data coming up, how we have significantly shifted the profile of our company, and we're going to market with subscriptions. We also have the add-on services, though which are very deep and rich in the area of assessments for selection, for promotion, as well as our executive services, where we work with executive teams, do executive coaching, do executive succession. So all these things, when you become less of a vendor and more of a trusted business partner, we're actually able to be broader and deeper, providing our value to our clients. Okay. So the subscription, does that come first for a customer? And then these other services are kind of layered in over time as needed? 
Oftentimes, oftentimes we've had legacy work in the add-on services and we are expanding over to subscriptions around there. But really the entry point, our first door is the subscription business. Good. Because that's also a big question that I know a lot of people that are thinking about subscription consider and struggle with is, is the subscription, you know, for the people that are coming in the door for the first time, is the subscription a way of expanding and deepening the relationship with best customers? Or is subscription a way of, you know, reaching and appealing to a totally different new segment? And I always say, you know, pick one, pick a place to start, and then you can expand over time into the other areas. But understanding the role of what subscription is doing for your business model, I think is a really important element of your, especially in your early strategy. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about adoption. We'll talk about transition because we have taken what was more events-based buyers and move them into subscriptions and the success about that coming up because I agree with you. So what role models, if any, helped you structure your subscription offering? Who did you look at other organizations to get inspiration and best practices as you moved into subscriptions? If we look outside, within our marketed industry, we looked around, we were looking at who had launched subscriptions and there were one or two others, but really not a lot in our space. And plus, we didn't want to be a me too, just like everybody else in the space. We want to do something totally different. What's very prevalent in the leadership development arena for subscriptions is access to these big online learning libraries. And in an online learning library, you get a huge amount of content. Nothing's wrong with that. But people are buying because of the volume of content or famous people who have created videos of the content. The dark side of that is there's a low usage because leaders themselves aren't prioritizing them, not making time for it. Doesn't feel particularly personal that I'm getting just what I need for where I stand as a leader at this turn in my life. And where's the accountability for actually learning and growing and applying and you know practicing my tennis serve, shall we say, to get better at that. And that is, I wanted to bring that back up because our roots in the science of leadership is about helping leaders change behavior, not just theories and ideas, not just watching videos on, again, tennis. So we really want to help them practice to apply to get those to better results. So that's what's unique about DDI's goals in the market. We wanted to set up a subscription that's by the side of leaders to help them handle all the things that come to them in their career as they progress through the ranks of leadership. So we looked internally and externally. So no models. I mean, that's what I'm taking away from your response is that you didn't see anything out there that was useful. It was mostly based on sort of starting from scratch and saying, these are our goals. This is what we want to do. We see that other people are doing things more focused on famous people and not getting use. So we're just going to start from scratch. Yes. With, of course, pulling from little glimmers of, okay, this, you know, we're seeing this in an adjacent business to ours. That's a good idea. Let's get that into the trying of the trials of the business. We're seeing competitors go to market is this way. We would either adopt that or not. So again, it wasn't one model that we took. It was a combination of a number of insights. Our licenses, we really launched those in about 2016, 2017. But by 2020, we knew we needed to do something different. We needed to meet our clients where they were and advance our model. And COVID hit. So the timing was both terrible and an opportunity. Like almost every business in the industry, we took a big hit. We had layoffs. 
We temporarily cut salaries and all of this at the time where everyone's dealing with their own personal crises around COVID. As your listeners know, it was some incredibly hard moments for businesses and for individuals personally. And in those tough times, I felt that people needed hope that DDI had a future. And people, your employees. My employees, that things were going to be different. Things were going to be better. So it was time to take a risk for a different and better future. So I can tell you as CEO, the risk we were taking was let's go all in on subscriptions. And you can imagine we have people who worked in different, as you said, parts of our business. So here we are going to say our primary go-to-market is going to be subscriptions. And this is a change. When times are uncertain, when people are feeling challenged, a natural inclination is to push back on something that is not familiar. But we had to go in a different direction. And I had not been CEO for very long at that time. We had a lot of tried and true things that had been working for us. We had a lot of things that were untouchable. We had a lot of things that we, paradigms that we never would have challenged. And it felt very personal to make some of these changes and to give some things up, particularly for things that were a family legacy. So I think one of the greatest strengths is I had tremendous strength and trust in my leadership team and the team around me that was charging forward with subscriptions. So that's a little bit about the timing and risk. I can get into the hows as well. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sharing, being so candid about the risks and especially the piece about, you know, reminding us what it was like during COVID when, you know, I mean, your business is a very relationship oriented physical business where people were physically going into companies, having conversations with leaders and with HR leaders, and suddenly all of that is shut down. Right. And so it's fascinating to me that you sort of said, okay, here's a next mountain that we can climb together. And let's go for it, even recognizing that, you know, it is big change and that there might be some cultural drag, some cultural pushback, given, I sometimes say to clients, like sometimes your biggest, the thing that's holding you back is your past success, the risk of doing damage to something that people have invested in and, and built that is working. Absolutely. So talk about <laughs> innovation and what you said, you depended on your team, you were confident in them. So what did you task them with and kind of what kind of timing and how did you innovate? Well, spun up a cross-functional team. And so as you can imagine, we had people in marketing and product and sales and field enablement, and we had an existing innovation team and we pulled in adjunct partners as we needed to. So the team was sprinting using the Jake Knapp sprint approach from Google Innovations. We were doing one week sprints where we would draw up a prototype, a concept, and we would be talking to our target market by the end of the week and getting their feedback. So that's everything from messaging to what the package looked like, to what their access would be, lots and lots of feedback. I will call out here, we also recognize we couldn't do it alone. And this is when I called you, Robbie. And so grateful for the partnership because you have provided some really incredible mentoring services to us. You worked closely with me. You worked closely with the team leaders who are responsible for this strategic change. You became part of the change team, listening to what our clients were saying, questioning us, helping us go forward. And you still provide some good ongoing guidance to our head of products. So thank you for being with us by our side as we went through this innovation process. 
Yeah, it was a delight. And I know I've said this to you before. I've been asking you to be on the podcast for a pretty long time. And it's because especially of this piece of how thoughtfully and deliberately and rapidly you moved forward with these sprints. The amount of learning and adjusting that happened was really, really marvelous. And frankly, something that I encourage other organizations to do, to move that deliberately and quickly at the same time is quite rare. And you made us focus on our forever promise, which still stands today, which is being by the side of leaders at every moment of leadership to help them make development a way of work, not just something you do in January and apply it all year long. It's part of the way they're working in the fabric of what they're doing. So thank you for that. But innovation does not stop. We have continued to evolve and our focus on innovation is, as your listeners can imagine, not is on retention of our clients. So that means feeding the subscription promise with content making sure that there's a regular stream of new content. So for example, quiet quitting is something that has hit the market for our clients as part of the subscription. So you don't have to do an extra buy of that. It's again, built into the subscription. We also recognized that when leaders themselves find out that the subscription, they don't want to be overwhelmed with the giant library. Where do they start? So we have created something, it's called My Pathway where they take some simple tests and out of that, they get guidance of where to go and where to get started on how they can acquire and then start to practice and apply the new skills. We're also weaving in assessment. We're weaving an assessment into the actual courses that we're creating. So for example, if you're learning about emotional intelligence, you might take an assessment You might find out that self-awareness is a problem that you have and you get direct information on what you can do to behaviorally start to change and be more self-aware, to be a better leader for your team. And I can't not mention our words, artificial intelligence. I'm sure everybody's talking about that. It's in every podcast I listen to. And so what we are doing with artificial intelligence is creating little practice simulations based on our 50 years of data. So these are very responsible and trusted artificial intelligence simulations that we know from millions of data points of how leaders have responded in the past and how we've graded them, what is the right behavior. So like the flight simulator, we're creating actual practice on-demand flight simulators to help leaders there. So that's the, the journey that we've been on from the timing and the risk to how we did it, to how we continue to innovate and evolve. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up AI. And I love that the way you incorporated AI is with these simulations, which are such a core part of the DDI way. That's really lovely. So talking about innovation, there's a concept that you and I have talked about that JB Wood popularized or came up with called swallowing the fish. It's this idea that there's a period in time where your costs are going up even as your revenue is going down when you're moving to subscription and that there's a period of time, it kind of looks like a fish, Yeah, you know, the two curves and organizations have to go through that simple process. How did you think about the swallowing the fish inside of your organization? So we were prepared for that. We were actually preparing our bank to let them know that performance curve was not going to look the way it was expected for a period of time. And here's why. And so there was 
as I said, the opportunity for people to take risk. I was empowering the organization to take a risk this way as we were investing and as our costs, our revenue was actually changing the curve there. What's interesting to us as we look at this in retrospect is it wasn't as bad. Our fish was kind of skinny. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's because we had the benefit of we had clients who had had licenses and they bought a three-year license. So we had that revenue that was helping us come through as we were moving into the subscription revenue. So that helped us considerably feel comfortable and continue to invest as we went forward. Great question. Yeah, it's, I think it's an important part of the continuing, you know, keeping up the momentum on the innovation, even as you might be losing revenue. So let's go back to those early days. What were the benchmarks you were looking for? If you weren't expecting, you know, profitability right away, What were you looking for to tell you that this was the right path? The first question which came out out of our early sprint reviews was, did our forever promise making development a way of work resonate? And the answer to that was, we knew it really quickly. Yes, this was what our clients were looking for. And we had clients indicating, and this has proven to be the case, where we have clients who have 100 seats or so, and then enterprise clients that have 5,000 seats or so. So That was the first question. The second question was, were our clients ready? Were they ready to adopt? And that was actually quicker than we were expecting, this transition for both new clients and existing clients. In year two, we grew the number of new subscription customers by 85%. So that helped us establish a very aggressive three-year plan. And that subscription customers, again, are not just for the subscription solution, but the add-on services as well. So anything that touches a subscription customer. So here we are, three years into our launch, over half of DDI's revenue comes from subscription clients. And we expect that to be over 80% within the next three years, which is a huge shift from where we were to where we are now. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. At what point did you determine that the experiment was a success, both for you and for your clients? There's two sides to success. There's a feeling that we judged it as a success for DDI. We just talked about that. We've had incredible interest. The forecast has been strong. We've got clients who are expanding and buying more seats. It's a success because there's a lot of simplicity inside of the organization. We go to market with subscriptions. So we're all singing from the same song sheet. And we've got clearer accountabilities. But I think the greatest marker of success was I referenced that DDI set a three-year growth goal. We hit it in two years. So we've reset and we're reaching even higher. So anybody would say that is success. But for our clients, it's simpler. It's more flexible. The lack of more contracting is is really a big buying. And the demand, the man's been there and being able to just reach more leaders directly. So So those are on the client side. There's two sides to the coin, and I'm glad to say that we're affecting both. That's amazing. And I would imagine, you know, from the client side too, they're better able to measure which leaders are using it. And as you said earlier, which modules, which elements they're focusing on, what are the big issues so that they can think more holistically about what's going on at the whole organization. It's amazing. So how did you determine how to expand the experiment? So because of the success we were having in the U.S., we were getting a pool to expand beyond the U.S. So within 18 months, we were going from our purpose of 
better leaders for a better future to even more better leaders for an even better future around the world with expanding into Europe, Canada, Australia, Southeast Asia. So subscription became the way we were doing business and we were becoming very profitable and exceeding our targets. So that was allowing us to reinvest in the business with R&D, technology, more innovations. And for our employees, importantly, we were able to invest and reward them at every level of the organization, which of course is motivation, retention, growth opportunities. A particularly important moment for me is that earlier I highlighted that DDI, like many companies, had to make the very difficult decision to cut salaries during COVID. Well, within a year, with the success of subscriptions, we turned around and made everyone financially whole again. Wow. That's great to hear. And it's amazing that people stayed and believed in your vision during that dip, during you know the hard times. And a kind of a testament to the, the commitment of the team to take on subscriptions. You know, obviously as a subscription person, it makes me very happy to see predictable recurring revenue exactly. that allows all boats to rise. That's kind of what it's all about. So do you want to get some advice from you for the other successful B2B entrepreneurs and executives who are thinking about subscription for the first time, maybe as an element of their pricing structure, or maybe as kind of the big bet for the next decade? What advice do you have for them? You need to do market data and testing, look at an innovation practice, a way to consider sprint reviews. Cross-functional teams are the only way to do this. And I think from a leadership perspective, it's important how myself and my leadership team, we set a tone for risk-taking that was unprecedented for DDI. We encourage people to break paradigms. We encourage people to lean into values that we have, which is being curious and learn, challenging the status quo. That sort of echoes back to our origins with inventing things that are commonplace in HR right now and doing that in a way that gives people empowerment, but a safety net at the same time. Those are some of the things that fit there. And above all, I would say stay laser focused on what you're doing, which is solving the problems for your customers. I mentioned benefits to DDI as a company. There'll be benefits to your company as well, but that's not the guidepost for your decision-making. Solving the client's problems and solving their problems, making the world easier for them is what's going to make a subscription sing. Yeah, I love that. The focus on the client as being, that's always the mission. That's always the kind of through line for subscription is how are you, you know, improving their condition? And then you look through the lens of, can we do this in a viable and sustainable way, given our resources as a company? I also really want to call out some of your very deliberate leadership strategies, because DDI, you know, it's kind of meta, right? DDI (laughs) is a leadership company, and now you're demonstrating or performing leadership activities in service of your subscription business. Is there anything specific around leadership? that you want to call out as a leadership best practice in managing this kind of change? Thank you for asking. It weighs heavy on our mind. We think a lot about how you move people through a change. And as an organization founded in psychological principles, the primer on change in psychology is that you have to pair the business strategy, the what's, with the how's, the human side. 
so that people feel engaged, excited, see how their future is going to be different. So regarding the business strategy, you've got, you're affecting all functions and operations inside of the business and globally. On the human side, you have to be prepared to have the conversations to help people transition because change starts out as disorienting. Eventually, people can move into the phase where they're exploring and they're investigating, and then they're finally accepting and integrating it. So you have to help people meet. And we know that, by the way, you manage a team. Some are more on one end of the continuum ready to change, and others are more resistant. But the company's only going to be successful if you can move people through. So the first thing you do is make sure that you recognize that you need to meet both the what's and the how's. The second thing is keep a pulse of what's going on. Listen and ask for feedback often. In fact, more than you ever have, because you have to have awareness of how people are thinking and reacting and what's happening inside of the organization. So for example, as we launched this and we were rapidly growing, we had some jobs inside of the organization that were really overloaded. And wanting to provide the highest level of service that we promised to the clients, but we were going to be getting to a breaking point. So we listened to feedback there and we changed the structure. We created new roles and it's a work in progress. We're getting better on that every day. And the investments we're making in technology and automations and efficiencies, that's all helping. But you cannot turn a blind eye to feedback where people are navigating through the change and high performers are challenged. If you don't address it, you're going to lose your best people. So that's another thing. Listen. And obviously, change is never done. You've got to continue to revise, maintain the energy. And I would also say that it is important to be able to be proud and share what you have accomplished and tell those stories to others because you've created real change for your customers That is incredible. And they're going to be some of your greatest advocates. But those stories also need to be heard by across the company and all functions, all associates. And that's why just so thrilled to be able to be here with you finally um, together, Robbie, to talk a little bit about our subscription journey. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling your story and sharing so many of the details of that journey. So really fabulous conversation. Before I let you go, Are you up for a quick speed round? Absolutely. First subscription you ever had? I think it was the World Book Encyclopedia that some well-intended college students sold to my mother. And we got all (laughs) the world books. And then we got one a year for about 10 years. So that's a subscription. (laughs) That's an awesome one. Your favorite subscription today besides your own? Oh, I would have to say Netflix since I'm constantly looking at things on media. (laughs) <laughs> and helps um, my son's a college student who's uh, majoring in drama. So that gives us all good stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. It's work. It's work related. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's cool. And something that you're learning right now. I'm learning a little bit more about balance and well-being and self-care. Not that that hasn't been important over these past five years, but I'm at a crux moment that says, if you don't do this and you don't take care of yourself, you're not taking care of your team, your family, your company. So I'm glad to be on that journey here in early January. So check in on me on my New Year's resolutions in a little bit. (laughs) Love it. Tacey Byam, thank you so much for being on Subscription Stories. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Tacey Byam, 
CEO of Development Dimensions International. For more about Tacy and about DDI, go to ddiworld.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Tacy, go to robbiekelmanbaxter.com slash podcast. Also, I have a favor to ask. If you like what you heard, please take a minute to go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Tacy and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. Reviews are how listeners find our podcast, and we appreciate each one. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.